Welcome. I'm glad you're all here this morning. I want to welcome those who are joining us online today and pray that you have a great online experience. A special shout out to Aberdeen and Watertown and Huron as they join us also. God bless you and I pray for you to connect with God in a special way this morning. I want to begin by asking you a question. How many of you, when you were in high school, some of you are still in high school, I understand that. How many of you were popular? You aren't going to raise your hand, are you, if you're popular? How many of you felt like, I, I wasn't very popular in high school? A lot of, oh, there go the hands. Well, God bless you. <laughs> um, what we're going to talk on this morning for a few moments is this idea that culture places a lot of emphasis on popularity, on being acceptance, on pure, you know, acceptance and that kind of thing. And I read one author's notes on this, and I want to read this to you. He said, we should be far less concerned about what other people think of us because they seldom do. And that's a true statement. People are pretty much self you know, focused by, by nature. So what I have for us to begin, and I want you at home to do this with me too. You'll have to go to the media section quickly of the webpage and look up the note guide for today. But I want us to take a quiz together. It's in your note guide. And I want you to rate yourself one through five on this quiz. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's a self-awareness moment, amen? So be honest. And I want you to rate yourself one to five this morning uh, on each of the questions I'm about to ask you. One means I totally disagree with this statement about myself. Five means that's me. You've nailed me. So I'm going to ask you these questions on popularity. Rate yourself. So first question is this. I see myself as unpopular, as a person goes. One means I don't agree with that. I'm the most popular person ever. People just love to have me around. Five means people rather watch grass grow than hang with me. Okay? So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as an unpopular person? Let me ask you a second question. I have experienced some rejection in my life that still affects the way I view myself. You experience some rejection from maybe a father or a mother or a sibling, and that still kind of lingers in your soul, um, and that affects how you view yourself and your relationship with others. One means, no, I don't have that problem. Five means, yeah, that's exactly me. Next question. I always try to fit in. Do you hide your real self frequently so that you fit into a group? Now remember, one means you disagree with that. That's not you at all. And five means, yeah, I do this a lot. I try to fit in. I, fi- I find a, a lot of well-intentioned people hide their real selves a lot to fit into the group that they find themselves associated with. And lastly, what people think of me matters a lot. One means, nah, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Five means, yeah, I'm really conscious about what people think of me. Now, here's what I want you to do. Just add up your score if you're doing it. A lot of you are just looking at me, so I know you're not doing this because you're not compliant, so you're probably one people. Okay? But, but get this. Mentally do this if you're not doing it physically. If you think, you know, I probably scored only four on this quiz. <laughs> well, that's good and bad. There should be some consciousness of, of how you affect other people and how they affect you. If you scored a 20, 
you're very peer dependent and you probably have a problem going on in your life that you need to uh, address. Um, but the lower your score, the less you're concerned about what others think of you and about popularity. Guess where the Lord Jesus takes us next here in our Gospel of John study? He takes us right to this idea of popularity and acceptance by others. And we've been studying for months now the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at at uh, this, this whole real revelation of Jesus lately before he's crucified uh, of, about things that really matter a lot. So today we're going to get into this subject matter that if we're associated with Jesus and we're a genuine follower of Jesus, there's a good possibility that you're going to experience some unpopularity at times. Amen? Isn't this good news? Aren't you glad you're here? I bet those online are saying, yeah, I'm really glad I turned this guy on right now. But, but, but hang with me because this, I wanted to skip over this because I can decide what I want to preach on. Amen? <laughs> but it was like God said, talk on this. This is really relevant to so many people, including me. So listen to this scripture now from John chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. And I want to encourage you to read along with me and stay attentive. And those at home, I encourage you too to read along on the screen with me. Here we go. This, this section of my Bible is entitled this way. The world hates the disciples. Listen to what is said now, beginning with verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. (laughs) I got some great news for those of you who scored four on your quiz. As a genuine follower of Christ, you're going to be unpopular. You're going, amen, I don't care. Those who score 20, this might be a little harder for you to to, to deal with this morning, what I'm going to talk about. The Lord lays out some things that are going to happen to us if we radically follow him. They're givens of our faith. Here's given one. We won't be everybody's best buddy. People aren't going to just go, yay, yay, I love this Jesus thing. I love that you are a Jesus follower. In fact, Jesus says, as the world has hated him, the world will hate us also. And if you have had some woundedness in your past, and one of our questions talked about that, that gives you this propensity now to want the acceptance of your peer group and maybe to want that almost in an unhealthy way, we're being warned here, watch out for that because... The world hates Jesus, and if you really love Jesus, you can't be seeking to be accepted by a world system that's at odds with Jesus Christ. So I want to walk through these verses this morning. I want to talk to you about some givens of genuine Christianity, just some things that we need to expect and understand will be our reality as a Christ follower. So let me begin by giving you point one, and I'll just explain it uh, to you. Christ in you sets you apart as part 
of a peculiar people. I know there's a lot of parts in that statement. Let me say it again, though. Christ in you will set you apart, and you then become part of a peculiar people. Now, I'm sure that many of you heard this phrase, birds of a feather, what? Stick together, flock together, right? Um, Like-minded people tend to hang with like-minded people. And Jesus is saying that the people of this world are going to flock together. They're going to be like-minded, and they're going to treat you this way. And we, Christ followers, likewise are going to probably hang with like-minded people, but we're not going to fit into the world system. It just won't be a reality that we should expect to experience. In fact, Jesus says they're going to have animosity towards you. Now, does that mean we have animosity back? No. Did you hear me? No. But should we expect them to have some animosity towards us? Yes. That's the reality that he's sharing with us will take place if you're a genuine Christ follower. Now, as a pastor, I've had to deal with bizarre things frequently in my ministry experience. And I remember going to New Hope, and one of the first big problems I had to face was barn swallow infestation. You know, it's a high calling. Someone has to do it. Amen? But we had these barn swallows that decided at that church up in Williston, North Dakota, to make all their nests under the eaves. I don't know if you know much about barn swallows, but they are messy. And these things were building these great big, huge mud nests that were just messing everything up. I didn't know what to do. I'm still trying to figure out how to do church. I don't know what to do with barn swallows. And so I talked to some of the people that went up there, and they said, well, what you need to do is you need to get seagulls to come here, and they'll displace the barn swallows. And I remember saying, I'm still trying to figure out how to get people to come here. How do you get seagulls to come to the church? And they said, it's easy. Just throw out food for them. They'll come. I go, really? Now, that church was close to the Missouri River. It's a couple miles away. It was close to a little muddy, aptly named because it looked muddy. And I thought, well, maybe they're seagulls. So one day I thought, well, I got to give this a shot. Nothing else seems to be working here. So I go out in the parking lot with a loaf of bread and I start throwing it around. That's what they told me to do. Man alive, it wasn't 10 minutes and I had 30 seagulls there. I didn't even know they existed in that area of the country, right? And they're all eating there and I'm going, do your job. Scare the barn swallows away. They were just intent on eating the bread. They didn't seem to do anything. That wasn't my phone. But at any rate... Um, so I thought, well, I'll keep doing this. And they did nothing at all to get rid of the barn swallows. But it became fun for me to go out and feed the seagulls. So I'd go out in the morning, wave a piece of bread, just for fun to see. Time, 10 seconds it took them today. You know, they, they, they were definitely, and I had a bunch of seagull buddies. They tended to flock together, but they didn't solve my problem with the barn swallows at all. So what I learned there is that birds of a feather do indeed flock together. And like-minded creatures tend to hang with like-minded creatures. And what the Lord Jesus is saying to us is this. When you become a citizen of heaven, you're a peculiar people. You're a seagull in a flock of barn swallows. You won't technically fit in. And they're going to have a rub with each other. Supposedly, seagulls had a rub with barn swallows and vice versa. Um, I didn't really experience that. 
But we as Christ followers, we're just going to rub people the wrong way in their perception of us, okay? I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's good. It's the reality that Jesus is sharing with us. When you and I give our lives to Jesus Christ, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to read this in the King James Version because it's so poetic. It just sings songs off your lips, and it's just a cool way to read it. But listen to this and receive this as truth. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is one of my favorite sayings of the Bible. A peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the verses go on to say that we are now the people of God. Simply restated, we have become birds of a feather that flock together around the things of Christ. And we are truly seagulls in the midst of a barn swallow population. And there's going to be this natural animosity that exists there, at least directed towards us. Now, I've been using the term world, and I want to explain what that means here. World, as, as delineated here in this scripture, means this. It's our present world order that is indifferent or hostile to God and to God's people. Okay, that's what that term means in this context. It is the present world order that is indifferent or hostile to God and his people. And we can't begin to think then that we're going to be accepted and do okay and befriend such a world system, Jesus says. It's hostile. It's indifferent to God. Now, we have to understand that elsewhere in the Bible it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for the world so that whoever believes shall uh, so, you know, not perish but be saved. Now, in that, in that particular rendering, the word world means, of course, lost people. But in the rendering I'm, I'm sharing with you today from this scripture, it means that system of thought that's indifferent or hostile to God. And we just can't expect them then to what? Be okay with us. Amen? They're not going to be okay with us. Author and preacher Erwin McManus. Uh, we used one of his books, by the way. It was called Chasing Daylight. And it was part of a small group study that we did, shoot, seven, eight years ago now here at our church. Uh, by the way, I'm going to take a time out here, talking to people online a little bit, okay? You guys can listen too, because it's important. But what we're going to start asking some people who are watching online, and I understand your hesitancy to come to church. I mean, there's a lot of uh, um, concerns about gathering publicly and all that kind of stuff. But what I want to begin to encourage you, if you're watching online, I want to begin to challenge you this way. Can you watch the service with somebody else? Can you become a community that watches. We, we want to have what we're calling watch parties. Maybe we're two or three families in a neighborhood might get together or you might get together with some relatives, but you begin to experience some community again. Uh, my concern is that um, we want to be more than an online experienced people. We want to become people who still experience some community. So as we get into the fall, as we push to the fall, I'm talking mainly to people online right now, we want to encourage you to come up with maybe somebody you can do some church together with that you feel comfortable doing it with. So you still have some community and some of that kind of face-to-face -face interaction with other people. And so if you feel like you can do that and you want to do that, you can contact Pastor Dave, Pastor Matt, or Pastor Serenity, and they'll help you set it up and be a resource for you. Anyway, I'm done with my commercial. You guys still with me? Um, Anyway, Eric McManus, we used this material to do this small group ministry a while back. He wrote a book, one of my favorite books. It's this tiny little book just called The Barbarian Way. 
The Barbarian Way. The title will get you if nothing else. It's a cool little book. And I want to read to you some, something that he wrote about the very thing I'm talking about in this message. Uh, I'm going to quote him uh, from his book, Barbarian Way. This is actually pages 93 through 94. Listen to what he says. From the moment we become citizens of the kingdom of God, we become aliens and strangers in a world that chooses to live absent of God. From the first step taken to follow Jesus, we are out of step with the rest of the world. Once your life is in sync with the story of God, you become out of sync with any story that attempts to ignore or eliminate God. You are a stranger to them, an alien among them, a nomadic wanderer who, while refusing to be rooted in this life, seems to understand and enjoy this life the most. Probably motivated by movies such as Men in Black, Irwin says, my son Aaron once asked me if there were really aliens among us. I told him, well, of course there were. That we have to register with the government to gain peaceful admission. A bit, of, a bit unnerved, he asked me if I was implying that I was an alien. I told him that while I had chosen to keep this confidential in the past, it was a good time to let him know the truth. I was an alien in this land. He said, prove it. I pulled out my green card that had my picture and declaration, resident alien. I tried to calm him down a bit, assuring him that we were still half human. It didn't seem to help. Okay, he said, I'm only from El Salvador. Not quite as glamorous as being Vulcan or Romulan. And if you know what those words mean, you're a nerd. <laughs> but an alien nonetheless. It's ironic that now our entire family is legitimately alien. Our citizenship is an eternity. History, I love this. Listen to this. History is our temporary residence. You are no different. Every one of us who hears the barbarian call of Christ and chooses to follow him will become a foreigner and perhaps even an outcast in the time and place in which we live. I just love that picture that McManus painted. 1 Peter 2.11 addresses us as aliens and strangers in this world. And McManus's illustration has fleshed that out, I think, in a, a really good way. So let's get practical for just a couple of moments. We are a peculiar people. We are seagulls in a, in a flock, so to speak, a barn swallows. What does it mean to you as you do everyday life? One, get this, get practical. What does it mean to be peculiar? Don't try to fit into the world system. You're never going to do that as a Christ follower. Don't try to do that. Be okay with that, amen? That's part of what Jesus is saying. Be okay with not fitting in. Secondly, we are to be in this world. That means we're to be actively involved in this world. We're to influence this world. We're to love the people of this world. But we're not to be of the world system. We're not to be of the world. Years ago, I counted like 110 Bible verses in the books of Acts and Romans that instructs us about this idea that we're to be in this world but not of this world. It's, it's a big theme of the early church and the theological writing of the Apostle Paul. These verses are not saying you're to isolate and insulate and try to keep yourself from the world. It's saying you're to be in the world, not influenced by the world system. You're instead to what? Be an influence on the world system for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ideally, we should be doing what I hope the seagulls would have done influence the barn swallows, not the other way around, right? And, and they didn't do that, so that's probably really a terrible analogy anyway. But you and I are called to influence this world. 
but not to be influenced by the world. And Christ followers, what, what concerns me is I see us, Christ followers, being influenced by the world, and we're not influencing the world. It's backwards. We can't be of the world. We've got to be in this world, but we've got to be a peculiar people called out by Christ who influence the world for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, what does this mean to be peculiar? Let me give you what it means to be peculiar. Word of love when everybody's hating. That's being peculiar. We're to have a peace that Christ brings when everybody around us is all anxious and falling apart. We're to be calm in the midst of all the chaos. Amen? We're to be calm. We're to fear not when fear is so prevalent and capturing so many hearts. We're to de-escalate when everybody else is what? Escalating. Just watch the news. Woo! Woo! Right? And we're supposed to de-escalate it because who do we follow? Jesus Christ. We're to love and to hear the stories of those who are discounted or minimized or discriminated against simply because of their skin color. Amen? It's more than tolerance. It's more than saying you're no different than us. We're to look at them and say, you matter. Your story matters. And we want to hear your story. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Listen, I'm looking at a bunch of peculiar people. You don't fit in this world system, Jesus says. Quit trying to do that. If you try to do that, you'll just constantly be frustrated in your life. One last practical implication, then we'll move on to a second point I want to make. Realize that if you try to befriend the world, it will lead you astray. I'm not saying we don't befriend the people of the world. We don't have a lot of, I have a lot of friends that aren't Christ followers. That's okay, amen, right? That's what we want to do. But we can't say the ways and the thinking of this world that are contrary and hostile to God are okay. James got after this in chapter 4, verse 4 of his epistle. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses, who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I love Proverbs. I read Proverbs frequently. They're good for the wisdom intake that we need. And in Proverbs, one of my favorite Proverbs is this, a companion of fools will be led to his destruction or her destruction. And Proverbs further goes on to define what is a fool. Because I said, okay, what's a fool? A fool is one who denies that there is a God. So when we start trying to accept ways that say there is no God, and we try to befriend that and say it's okay, the Bible says what? We'll be led to our destruction. So we have to watch out. What are we giving our allegiance to? Who are we befriending and why? I've seen a lot of people led to their destruction because they befriended the wrong kind of philosophy. So let's move on to number two. Now I'm going to go fast. The number two uh, reason or given that we need to understand uh, when it comes to uh, our Christian experience. You will be, you will be misunderstood and hated because of Jesus. It's a given, Jesus says. And it seems to be two sources behind this misunderstanding and hatred. One is just plain old ignorance. A lot of people just are going to treat us 
with hostility or indifference because they simply do not know God. They don't understand. There's a world full of such ones, right? Uh, they have no proper concept of God. Romans 1.28 tells us this, that um, such ones did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, and then they're given over to a depravity of mind, doing all kinds of things that ought not to be done. This simply says such ones are ignorant to God, and they do the things that people who are ignorant of God do. That should not surprise us. Amen? I remember once interviewing for, uh, uh, for a new position at 3M, and I told this story uh, a couple times here at church before, so some of this is going to sound familiar, but I'm going to talk about it a, a different way today. So I decided about four years into my, my engineering career that every time these guys ask me this question, what's the most important thing in your life, what makes you tick, that I no longer cannot answer that truthfully. I have to say it's Jesus Christ. And just, it falls where it falls. So I had the plant engineer, uh, a plant manager, excuse me, down in um, Knoxville, Iowa, asked me as I was interviewing for the maintenance general supervisor job, what makes you tick, Steve Norby? He said it just like that. And I thought, oh. And I started sweating. You ever have been in that situation? I mean, it was, yeah, it was gross. And I said, you know, Ross, I said, I... I you got to answer truthfully. My faith in Jesus Christ is what makes me tick. It's who I am. It defines basically my life philosophy. And it was like he was looking like a deer in the headlights at that moment. He had no understanding of what I was saying. You get what I'm sharing with you here? He had no concept of what this meant. And I went on to say, but just you got to understand, because of this relationship with Christ, I will work hard. You won't have to watch over me. I'll do what's right when no one's watching because I serve a greater power than you. I serve my Lord Jesus Christ. And the more I talked, the more he just kind of like, what? He just couldn't, he couldn't relate to what I was saying. He had no concept of it. And he finally said, well, it's good to have faith, I guess. He didn't know what to say. I got hired, so it worked out. But we have to understand that a lot of times we're going to be the recipient of hatred and resentment simply because of what? ignorance. People just don't know. That's why your actions matter. That's why we have to be noticeably different, because oftentimes that's the only witness that will really speak to the hearts of people. But here's a second source for misunderstanding and hatred. It's this, rejection and resentment of Jesus Christ. So if someone rejects Jesus Christ, and then they, be, they begin to resent what Jesus stands for, what does Jesus stand for? Well, he stands for what? In a lot of people's mind, identification that I'm a sinner. For all sin to fall short of the glory of God, right? The Bible says Jesus came and he showed them, you're sinners, you need salvation, you need a savior. And if you reject that and begin to resent that, guess what? It's going to manifest itself in hatred. And if they hated Jesus because of his message, they're going to hate us who follow Jesus because of his message. And Jesus says, some had even seen his miraculous work and power, yet they still rejected him. And then he quotes David here from Psalm 69, where he, he said, they hated me without reason. That's a quote from King David in Psalm 29. Jesus quotes that in, in, in John chapter 15. This resentment reveals that they're still steeped in their sin and far from God. And so that's going to manifest itself towards you and I in hatred. One note of clarification here. If you're, if you're coming under some insults and scrutiny and 
Sometimes we call it persecution. I don't know if we ever have real persecution here in the States yet. I don't know if we really know what that means. But make sure it's for the right reasons and not because of your own misbehavior. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Peter says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his joy is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal uh, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Now, I remember a guy came to me and said, man, I'm, I'm suffering some at work because of my Christian witness. And I, I, and I thought, oh, that's too bad. And then another one came to me and said, you know, this guy, he talks all the time. He's getting in trouble because he talks at work instead of works. I said, oh, that's interesting. So the Christian's perspective was, I'm sharing Jesus Christ, and the employment perspective is, do it on your own time. You get what I'm saying? So you got to be careful when you're suffering that you're suffering truly for the cause of Christ, and, and, and make sure that it's not because of spiritualizing some of your own misbehavior. One last given I want to share with you, one last given that Jesus proclaims to us in these verses. Uh, we just got to know this. You will be persecuted as a follower of Jesus because of your association with him. You ever been the recipient of hateful action? Anybody in here ever been the recipient of hateful action? Anybody? Somebody? Some people? Yeah. Oh, man, you guys have lived a good life. I remember one time, and I'm, I'm going back to some of my 3M history here again. I was down in Knoxville, Iowa, and a, and a mechanic came into me, and he was hot. He was mad. And he came barging into my office, and he just began to lay into me, talking about my mother's lineage and, you know, using some words that I normally don't use and just kind of going on and on and on. He was just angry, angry, angry. And finally, I said, stop, stop, because if you continue on, some corrective action is going to have to happen. You need to leave my office right now, and you need to cool off, and we can have a talk. I had no idea what the problem was, no idea at all what the problem was. And I walked out in the office after this had occurred. <laughs> they all looked at me like they were horrified what had just transpired. And I go, I don't know. You know what I mean? And I, I, I continued to walk out onto the floor. And one of the other mechanics caught me and said, hey, this guy that just saw me, you realize his, his wife just had open heart surgery. Not going well. He's under tremendous stress. I said, oh. And then another mechanic caught me a little later and said, you know that guy that was just so hot at you? His son's getting beat up every day at school. He doesn't know what to do. He's beside himself. Then another guy caught me and said, you know he's got a gun in his truck. That did not help. <laughs> I said, thank you for sharing that. I don't know what to do with that. And then I heard about four or five other stories like that about this guy. And you know what was happening? I was his authority figure in his life. I was his boss. He was just frustrated with life. He was overwhelmed with life. He was just angry. And guess what he did? What did he do? By association, he came in and took it all out of me. And we had a good talk on that, trust me. We had a really good talk on why you don't do that kind of thing. And, and I actually, I, we became kind of good friends after that. But listen, by our association with the Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing is going to happen to us at times. People are just going to lash out. They're going to be venomous. They're going to hate us. They're going to say all kinds of nasty things about us. They're going to call us ignorant. They're going to call us fundamentalists. They're going to call us stupid. And 
not attached to reality. You're going to hear all these kinds of words that we think are persecution. That's just the beginning of kind of insulting, actually. And they're going to say these things to us. Why? Because you love Jesus. Amen? And what do you do back? Do you return it likewise in the way? No! No, no, a thousand times no! You love those who hate you and misuse you and say all kinds of despite, uh, despiteful things against you. These words by Jesus is, are sobering, but needed. They made me think all week about how I live my life frequently trying to fit in. <laughs> And I'm going, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? It doesn't even make sense why I'm doing this. I'm never going to really fit in. That's okay. Amen? I'm not going to fit in. You're not going to fit in. You're a bunch of peculiar people. You're not going to fit in. We got to quit trying to do that. And for me, it was really liberating to just say, I just really need to be liberated from some of this. I need to quit worrying about it. I'm not going to chase after the desires of a system that eats people up and spits them out that I don't even agree with. Where the beautiful and the popular are idolized. I'm not going to participate in that system. I don't need to. Jesus, this is your concluding point, liberates you from the trappings of the world. See, in Jesus, we have the sense of belonging. In Jesus, we have a completeness that far outseeds the hatred that the world will throw our way. In Jesus, we find purpose and destiny, don't we? We're not part of this world system anymore that doesn't know Jesus Christ and has no answer for life. We have the answer. We know what we're about. In Christ, we're accepted into the family of God and we're adopted as sons and daughters. We have a God. Do you know this? We have a God that's deeply, deeply, deeply in love with us. And to be known by that God who loves us so much is way better than being popular. Amen? There's no comparison between those two things. And what I want to do today, I want to end by reading to you, reading over you, blessing you with this reading of Psalm 139. I'm going to read the first 18 verses and go fast. But what I want you to do is receive this from a God who loves you. And it's better to be known by God who loves you than to be the most popular person on this planet. I just want you to have that perspective. So I'm going to read this over you. Just kind of bow your head and receive it as a blessing of God on your life today. So you do whatever you want to do for posture. If you still want to stare at me, that's fine. It's a little awkward, but that's fine. If you want to just kind of receive this as a a blessing, because I'm going to read it as a blessing over you. So hear these words from Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hand me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle in the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the, light be, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is a light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. 
Listen, beloved, you are known by that God. And nothing compares to that. You are his peculiar people. Hold on to that truth because Jesus has promised us in this world we'll have trouble. We'll be misunderstood. We'll be ignored. We'll be hated. We'll experience hostility. We'll be persecuted. But then Jesus says, take heart for I have overcome the world. It's better to be known by this God than to try to fit into this world. Amen. Would you bow your head and we're going to pray together. I encourage you at home to bow your head and, and join in me, with me as I pray. Lord God, I want to uh, just lift us up right now to you. I want to thank you for the truth of Psalm 139 and for the blessing of those words. We are your people. You know us. You know our going in and our going out. You know our days. You've ordained our lives, Lord. God, we are a peculiar people, a people set aside for your glory. God, I, I pray that we would not try to fit into a world system that is at best ignorant of you. And then as it gets a little worse, it gets hostile. And as it gets even worse, it gets to the point of persecuting those who love you. God, I pray that we would not make it an ambition or a goal to fit into that. And Lord, I, I pray you forgive us for frequently we get confused and we try to fit in to this world system that's so against you. Forgive us for that, Lord. We're to be in this world. We're to be knowledgeable about this world and how it's going to treat us, but we're not supposed to partake in it. We're not supposed to get caught up in it. We're not supposed to be, you know, just all anxious and all, all kind of in that rat race kind of thing, Lord. That doesn't make sense. That's not who we are. We're not that people, Lord Jesus Christ. Would you just implant that into our hearts today? I want to pray for any listening today, whether they be online or whether they be here in person, Lord, that that don't know you right now, Lord Jesus. And what I'm talking about is maybe a little foreign to them, a little strange to them. I want to pray even now that your Holy Spirit would come on such a person. Illuminate their heart. Give them ears to hear and an open heart to receive, Lord. And I pray for such ones to be born again by simply saying, Jesus, come into my heart. I admit I've been far from you. I've been a sinner. I, I, I know that I'm not living in a way that pleases you. Come in and make my life new. I pray some would pray that today, Lord. Be born again in you and become a new follower of you, Lord. I pray for those of us who've been in you for a while, Lord, that we would no longer strive to try to be people of this world. But we see ourselves as an alien and a foreigner, as Erwin McManus so uh, articulated, Lord, in his, in his uh, words in his book, Barbarian Way. God, I just pray that we would not strive and have that confusion anymore in our lives. God, we are a peculiar people set apart to do your good works to bring glory to your name, to be influencers in our culture, to love those who are far from you, to have peace when others have anxiety. Uh, Lord, to be a calming influence, to be a de-escalating influence, to be ones who love even when hated. Lord, I just pray that we be peculiar and different in that, in that regard. God, bless the people, Grace Point, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Bless the people listening online, wherever they find themselves, whether they be here in North Dakota, you know, Minnesota, they're all over the place listening to us, Lord. I pray, bless them and fill them with the Holy Spirit today, Lord. We love you so much. And as Pastor Kyle and Gang closes in this song, may it be a song of adoration and prayer to you, I pray. And all God's people said,